0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today we hosted the Mayor's Town Hall with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Also, Ontario's top judges are criticizing the Ford government over cuts to legal aid. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Uh, good morning. Good to have you, Mr. Mayor.
1: Good morning. After welcome. a long
0: council meeting again last night.
1: Yeah, it was, well, you know, council meetings generally are long, but, uh, you know. It depends good, on who's good there. debate and depends on who's in the chair <laughs> sometimes or who's, uh, you know, what issues are on the table. And certainly the arena issue, uh, you know, captured some, uh, some attention and, and appropriately so, I think.
0: Uh, let's, let's talk about the arena issue. Yep. Uh, we've covered that extensively over the last couple of days. We've talked to Councillor Farr, Councillor Pauls about this mm-hmm. uh, and, and the concern obviously I guess is well years ago you did real estate, location, location, location. Uh, she wanted you to at least consider the Lime Mall location uh, and there was a, an interesting discussion and debate around there about exactly what the priorities are and how far down the road you are, even with the, the proposal that some of the councilors are, are leading towards, which is a downtown location. Mm-hmm. So maybe for those who did not hear it today, maybe you could ex- outstand because it was finally you that broke this, this deadlock and this uh, ring around the, about this discussion and said, okay, let's just put this off. You, know, you, you set that motion aside and council adopted that.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are we, what, where are we now with that? Well, so uh, the, the, the setting aside had more to do with uh, some procedural issues uh, in, in terms of some of the recommendations that uh, were not passed, that should have been passed, p- part of the original recommendation. So we're going we're to turn that back to the General Issues Committee on the 18th. And then uh, it opened the door to, uh, you know, having um, members of council suggest that we ought to uh, have Mr. Andelauer come in and make a formal presentation of his proposal. You know, one of the disadvantages we have right now is that people have a pretty good understanding of what the city's proposal is and some of the costing that's uh, related to that. But uh, not, not the full uh, understanding of what Mr. Andelauer put on the table in terms of what that means for, uh, for taxpayers. So I think, uh, I, I think it would be appropriate for him to come in and, and make his pitch. And, uh, and then council will make a decision uh, going forward after that. You know, I've had many meetings with Mr. and I, I would say that uh, I have full respect for the work that he's done keeping OHL hockey in Hamilton. Uh, he's been a great owner and a great partner in the city of Hamilton. Some time ago, he assured me that he wanted to partner with the city of Hamilton on, on you know, whatever location that the city of Hamilton uh, should choose ultimately. But he was very focused on originally on the McQuesten Park location. Uh, you know that that happened uh, during you know the time of uh, Donna Skelly, and they brought forward yeah. that that idea as uh, you know a good arena location. So a, half of the park would be dedicated to an arena.
0: That that was a non-starter from the get-go. Well,
1: from my perspective, it was, and uh, you know I, I I mentioned that to him on many many occasions. He did keep going back to that one, but I, I think at the end of the day decided that that wasn't uh, something that he wanted to pursue. And I he could have brought it to council if he wanted to. And uh, but he chose not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I advise that he go have a look at the uh, Limeridge Mall site. If he wanted to do a complete private sector uh, uh, arena proposal in partnership with Cadillac Fairview with other development around it, with no money from the city of Hamilton, then he wouldn't have to worry about the timelines that, uh, that we are uh, you know, worried about because uh, our process is going to take longer than any private sector initiative. And so, uh, you know, out of that, uh, we came to what uh, they had those discussions. Uh, Apparently that didn't pan out. And uh, out of that came, you know, the the proposal proposal recently that uh, he put on the table. Which involves in some way, shape, or form the city. Significantly. Significantly. And I can't tell you the numbers because it's a confidential document. And uh, I think the frustration that council has is that uh, they want that document to become public so people can understand that he's not proposing an arena with no cost to the taxpayers it's actually quite significant cost to the taxpayers and so uh that needs to be known so that we can uh, let the public know that we're not just dismissing something that uh that has merit but uh that has significant cost attached to it let me ask you about that uh, because as I was
0: watching yesterday hearing some of the comments from councilors about about Mr. Andlar and some of them not too complimentary as it turned out uh, which I found distressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, uh, there was a common theme that, well, you know, we don't know much about this. We don't really know much about the downtown, proposed downtown location either. I mean, you've got a an nurse and young study uh, with a ballpark figure at how much the arena might cost. You don't know where it's going to be. You're going to have to buy land or expropriate land or do something. Sure. That cost is not included in that. Uh, you know, I mean... <laughs> We don't know where we are with that either. Is it is it really fair to go into Mr. Andelar and say, we want everything, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed? No, 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 this?
1: no, and I, I don't think that's the point. I, I think what all we right, want is a at least a public airing of, of the same kind of approximates that we have put on the table for the, the city proposal. Because so. I, I would argue, and
0: I'm, I'm not taking the side of Lime Ridge Mall necessarily, because no. like everything has ups and downs on it and, sure. and good and bad, but I would argue he's maybe a little further down the road because at least he's got a private sector partner and a location, and you don't have that yet.
1: Well, I don't, I don't think it, it's they're, they're at that level of specificity. So I think what we want to see is just the the, the general overall numbers that uh, they're basing their proposal on. Uh, that's in the the uh, the kind of the four four or five page proposal we got from them. Uh, unfortunately, at this point, uh, because we took it confidentially, we are not obliged to share it confidential. We'll have to have Mr. Andelauer agree to do that, and I hope that he does so we can put uh, you know all the cards on the table and people can understand what the differences are. So you know at the end of the day, Though, I mean, you're right. Uh, you know, the downtown location will require a number of things that need to happen to make it all work. But there are significant chunks of property there that we own. And so it puts us much, much more into the driver's seat. And then then the issue of critical mass uh, starts to take hold. You know, what what kind of critical mass do you need to have in terms of clustering your entertainment facilities together close to the hotels and the restaurants and all the, the kind of the dynamic stuff that's happening downtown? It adds to that, and I think that's why most people are looking at downtown as the preeminent location, like it has been for, you know, the last 30-something years. Not that I'm cynical. I, I,
0: you know,
1: but, no. But, Perish the thought. But when you and I were going to college, we heard
0: the same argument from the city council at that time. They were going to put them all together downtown, and it's going to create this. They didn't say precinct, because that wasn't a cool word back then. It is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would suggest, and I think there's an argument to be made, that the growth we've seen here in the last eight or ten years, especially in the restaurant district around King William, and another is not because of the arena. It might even be in spite of the arena. The arena has not been a, ma- a magnet for anything out of that regard. The only thing that's been built there since that arena opened
1: is the federal building across the road. Yeah, but we're now looking at a sports and entertainment complex uh, that uh, lends itself to probably more more concerts than uh, than we've had uh, before in terms of that s- size and scope and scale. And you know, and a lot of that re- you know requires hotel space. People want to come into town and make a, make a weekend of it. And so then the restaurants kind of become a factor in all of this. So the, the whole experience really needs the kind of dynamic downtown, uh, you know, space to, uh, to make it all work at, uh, at maximum opportunity. So, uh, you know, putting it on the mountain uh, doesn't necessarily have that kind of cachet. You don't have the, the same kind of development around it or the same kind of development opportunity that the city would have in terms of the properties that we own. And so I think it's a a different dynamic, and, you know, that's at the end of the day. I mean, we're going to have to make a choice. I think to date the uh, council has chosen to do it downtown. It was actually a motion put forward by Councillor Whitehead. Who said uh, you know if we're going to go down this road, let's make sure it's downtown. And uh, and now we've seen variations of that uh, that theme starting to to rise. Let's work through the process. Uh, let's get all the cards on the table. Hopefully, we can make a decision and not get you know bogged down on on these issues. And hopefully, Mister Andelauer will come to the table to be a partner in uh, in whatever site we choose. Is there a sense of urgency with this? Well,
0: I, I mean, one of one of the counselors said, look, you know, this he he described it as an eleventh hour. Uh, proposal and I said eleventh hour towards what? I mean, he, he, nobody said this has to be done by the end of the month.
1: No, I, I think the uh, sense of urgency comes from Mr. Andelauer, Quite frankly, and uh, you know, we uh, well, he we, has, we know his
0: business time frames. We understand that. Sure, you've got uh, one one year left on the lease.
1: Yeah. And, but we can extend the lease, and, uh, and you know, at Cops Call the Same or First Ontario Place is not an awful place to play. Uh, you know, it's not like the building is falling apart, but there are issues that need to be dealt with uh, in the short term. And uh, we, we did get information from our staff that, you know, over the next five years that they don't expect anything, you know, catastrophic to happen that would prevent them from playing in that location. So we have time. Uh, you know, if something happens under the ice, they they did the infrared testing, and it all came out okay, everything's good. So the ice is going to be there. The facility is still there. It's not a terrible place. We, we are putting some money in in the interim to fix up the escalators and the elevators. And so I would say to Mr. Andelauer, you've got a good place to play. I know you want a, a smaller venue. We're, we're heading down that road. Let's work together to make it happen.
0: Please, I, I don't know where this is going to end up or what's going to happen or what it's going to look like, but please, please tell me you're not going to tear down that building and put the arena right where that one is or we've got another two-year delay. Um, no, I, I exactly. Love, I love Guelph, Mr. Mayor, but I don't want to have to drive up there to watch junior hockey now, too. So,
1: so the whole plan is to uh, to to continue to occupy that space build an arena in another location, uh arena sports facility, and then uh, be able to seamlessly switch so uh, nobody has to leave town to go play hockey.
0: Is the long-term plan to have uh, some effective reuse of that particular piece of property then, or are you going to maintain it as an arena? I, no. ter- council Whitehead the other day still has this idea about an NHL team, and I, I like to think he's the only one on council who does, but uh, it, it, can, do you envision that piece of property or even that building being being repurposed?
1: Uh, I envision that piece of property being repurposed. If it's not going to be an arena, then uh, it, it has got enormous value. Uh, in in today's market, yeah. and so the development opportunity there for uh, for developers is significant. So uh, if we offer that up for uh, for sale for a future development, uh, not only will the city get uh, a large benefit out of the value of that property, that will be able to offset the cost. Uh, we'll we'll also have uh, you know additional potential housing and commercial development downtown that uh, adds to what's happening downtown already.
0: Alright, we'll uh, leave that for now unless any of our callers want to pick up on this too but we've got a lot of other stuff and a lot of other topics we want to get into with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger 905 645 nine star 9900 Email bkelly at 900 com and uh, on uh, Twitter at chmailbillkelly uh, To your phone calls now uh, Dave, thanks for holding on. Go ahead for the Mayor
2: Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm a- I just touched on the arena subject uh, mm-hmm. very briefly. I'm, a- I'm in favor of the downtown arena I mean, if it, if- if it- is going to go to Lyme Ridge, in my opinion, should be at very, very little cost to the city. Mm -hmm. Nominal, before I would say, okay, put it there.
1: Well, you know, I I advocated to Mr. Antelaro that he uh, should look at a private sector play. Then he can move as quickly and as fast as he wants without without any city uh, dollars on the table. But uh, that is not uh, the direction that they've uh, come back with, so we'll have to have a hard look at what he's proposing. But I'm still uh, believing that downtown is our best option, so I agree with you, Dave.
2: Uh, yeah, I just want to touch uh, finally on the uh, Commonwealth bid. Uh, what uh, you know, for a successful Commonwealth bidder, we it seems like if we it almost seems like if we're going to ask for it, we'll get it. Would that uh, not help some of our uh, sports infrastructure uh, financial problems if we were awarded? It? I didn't know it's twenty thirty, but if mm-hmm. you get awarded it in the next. Uh, when are they awarding
1: this uh, actual what year what? Uh, I think it's in the next couple of years, so, so it, uh, the money would start but it's flowing. in the queue now, so they're right. they're already uh, you know looking for you know potential bidders and uh, Hamilton certainly uh is now in the queue and and we're the we're the kind of the favorite because it's the anniversary date of the uh, nineteen thirty uh, game. so it's uh it's almost uh you know I, I dare dare I say uh, we are the uh, we are the going in favorite to actually successfully get this
2: no-brainer I think we should go for it and I just want to state for the record I don't even live in Hamilton I live in Stony Creek but
1: mm-hmm. you
3: know
2: we're all one city we pay the same taxes, right. tax tax taxable. and what's good for Hamilton is good for everybody people got to realize that
1: well, I appreciate that Dave and you know these these games are you know they're they're wonderful opportunities to highlight sports but the uh, the bigger win out of all of them is always the legacy facilities that get left behind so if you think about the 1930 games uh, Iverwin Stadium, uh, Jimmy Thompson Pool, the HAA grounds uh, have all endured uh, over the last 80 or 90 years. And uh, those kinds of facilities are what you uh, win with uh, through games. And, and you know the new uh, Tim Hortons field was uh, part of the Pan Am process, and we would never have replaced that without uh, participating in the Pan Am games.
2: And finally, we can point to many other cities that did well by taking the game.
1: No question. There are many, many examples that uh, demonstrate that uh, there's a win-win-win for the city if you participate.
0: Well, good luck. Thanks, Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. i try to squeeze in one more here before we have to go to a break. Yep. Uh, the Bill Kelly Show, 900 CHML. Hi, Corey. Welcome to the show today.
4: Hi, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? Just
1: great, thank you.
4: Yeah, I'm just uh, just calling in today. Um, I'm the uh, season ticket holder with the Hamlin Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling about the uh, the new arena situation. Right. Um, I'm also going to be heading up their uh, booster club, their inaugural booster club this uh, season as well. Oh, great. Um, so the reason why I'm calling is uh, because uh, I'm uh, I'm calling in in support of Mr. Hanlauer and the uh, Hamilton Bulldogs Hockey Club to have the new arena at the Lime Ridge Mall location. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that the city and the Bulldogs could come to an agreement on that location. Um, you know, I'm hoping that, um, you know, something can be done, uh, relatively quickly. Um, I'm afraid that possibly we could, uh, maybe lose the team to relocation if we don't get a deal on, a, on an arena sooner than later. Um, so I'm just hopeful that we can come to an agreement, and I'm just calling in to uh, support Mr. Ann Lauer and the Bulldogs at the arena uh, at the Lime R- Ridge Mall location. Um, Thanks for taking my call. I'll hang up and
1: we'll listen to your responses. Thanks, Cory. No no problem. You know what? I mean, people are going to have different views in the broader community. I appreciate that. Uh, You know, we're going to have to make an assessment on what's the best value for the city of Hamilton, both in terms of uh, development and uh, future arena facilities and and locations. So uh, it's not; uh, these are not uh, things that we take lightly. And uh, whatever Mr. Andalayer ends up putting on the table will uh, seemingly now be considered if he uh, makes a presentation. And, um, you know, we'll make the comparison and uh, move on from there. But just to be clear, just
0: before we go to the break here, uh, from the discussions I've had with Michael Andlar uh, and Steve Stales, who was on the show the other day, the Bulldogs have not ruled out downtown. They've simply said, we have an alternative proposal we would like you to consider. Right. Uh, he has not said this way or the highway right, by any stretch of the imagination.
1: No, and he's, he's assured me all the way through that he wants to be a partner with the city, and the, uh, he wasn't going to make that kind of... Uh, Dramatic uh, statement to say my way or the highway. So uh, well, I, that's I appre- not the way he does business. No, and and, and I appreciate you've, you've that. And away. I I respect that. And uh, I I have a lot of time for Mr. Andalaro and the work that he's done for our city. And uh, we will will be respectful of the proposal, but at the same time, I think he needs to understand that there is uh, you know, critical imperatives for the city in terms of future development. And uh, we've put a lot of time and effort into repurposing downtown, and uh, you know, those are considerations that uh, he shouldn't ignore either.
5: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: It's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Let's uh, get right back to the phone calls, though. Uh, and uh, uh, Jess, you're next in the program. Thanks for your patience, Jess. Go ahead for the mayor.
3: Hi. I would like to ask uh, the mayor what his opinion is on Terry Whitehead's recent comments blaming the anarchists. For um, all the hate that's going on at City Hall, um, we—I noticed that he only called out the anarchists and made no mention of the Yellow Vest and the Canadian Nationalist Party and the other um, hate mongers at City Hall. And I would right. like to know um, what Fred thinks on that.
1: Thank you, Jess. Uh, so, I mean, I'm—I'm—I'm uh, I'm, uh, I'm against all of them, quite frankly. All of those that are—they're uh, <laughs> advocating for hate or anti-immigration or or division in our community or. You know, there's a whole uh, you know number of groups out there that uh, are appearing from time to time. So uh, they're they're all not uh, you know p- promoting <laughs> the kind of inclusion diversity. And equity that uh, we ought to be, uh, you know, advocating for in our community. So, uh, I'll let uh, I'll let Mr. Whitehead's uh, comment speak for himself. So I, I'm uh, I'm much more interested in continuing on to work with our communities to make sure that everyone has a respectful place in our community, and that we stop all of this uh, anti-Muslim, anti-Jewish, anti-Black, anti-LGBTQ. Uh, all of those things uh, are ought not be happening anywhere. And uh, I wish we had uh, more functional control to prevent that, but it. Uh, for a lot of these folks, it's an ideology that won't go away, and we're going to be challenged to be able to deal with them. Okay, okay Jess.
5: Thank
3: you. Thank, thank you, you Jess. So thank you so thank
0: much you. for your call. 645 star star 9900 for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Georgia, you're next on the Bill Keller Show. Hi.
3: Hi. I was wondering if the mayor could speak to the ongoing demonstrations by the fascist and white supremacist groups at City Hall on Saturdays that typically lead to, like, intimidation and harassment and assault towards people of color, Muslims, and queer and trans folks.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, very frustrating. Uh, you know, we, uh, as you know, we're, as a city, looking to, you know, maybe evoke an injunction. So our staff are still, to, you know, wanting to report back on that. And uh, we're, we're anxiously awaiting that. But, uh, you know, freedom of expression is uh, is the challenge here. And uh, I don't like anything that they're doing. Uh, I think uh, I abhor the, the kind of messaging that they're putting out. Uh, but at the same time, they're very clever. And uh, they tend to, uh, you know, work within the margins of the law. And uh, we're going to be challenged to be uh, dealing with that wherever it happens. So whether it happens at City Hall or on Ottawa Street or wherever they might go, uh, it is going to be an ongoing challenge. And uh, we're going to do everything humanly possible to try and uh, thwart that. But at the same time, I think it lends itself to, uh, you know, making sure that uh, as groups, those that are, that are uh, you know, targeted for these kind of hate uh, hate speech and hate expression, that we uh, work together to uh, stand against that and uh, find, find ways of means of educating the broader community in terms of the impact of those kinds of issues and the, the importance of respecting all of the people in our community, whether they be uh, Muslim, black, brown, indigenous, or LGBTQ, or trans, or queer. Uh, all of them deserve respect, and we need to ensure that we do everything possible to uh, give them that respect.
3: Um, and then what about the repression faced by folks who stand up to them by the Hamilton Police Force? How does that factor in?
1: Well, you know that's a that's a difficult question. So, uh, you know, you're, you're characterizing it as repression. Uh, you know, I think the police are, in my view, are there to protect uh, everyone. Uh, they're not there to protect people that are doing criminal activity, uh, but they're uh, there to, to maintain the peace and hopefully uh, keep, keep people from, uh, you know, into some sort of a violent altercation. Uh, The issues of hate speech, uh, that is a very, very challenged area uh, as to when it becomes a criminal offense and when, uh, you know, action has to be taken by the police in terms of arrests. Uh, That is a very, very difficult challenge and uh, a pretty high bar. So, Saying I don't like Muslim people or something close to or more offensive than than that uh, doesn't meet that, uh, that bar. And so it gets very, very challenging, very, very difficult. But I know the police are arduously working through that to make sure that they're doing the right thing within the law.
3: Um, I think your continued inability to critique the response of the police is actually really irresponsible.
1: Well, I appreciate that, but, uh, you know, I am the chair of the Police Services Board, and my opinion, my, my, my opinion is that uh, they're doing everything they can to, uh, to work through these issues, and uh, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, there's, no, there's no magic wand answer to this that, uh, that we can evoke. And uh, if if there were, we would have done it long ago. So it, it's going to be a, a challenge. You know, I remember the days when uh, skinheads were popular uh, back in the uh, '60s and '70s and '80s. You realize uh, they're it was back a there at City Hall on Saturday, right? Pardon me.
3: You realize they're back, right? They're at City Hall on Saturday. If there was a group of them. Who's that? Uh, like skinheads.
1: Well, possibly, and and you know they're either well, no, they're a, a variation guys. of skinheads or the sons of Odin or whatever they call themselves today. Uh, this is uh, this has happened before, and it's been uh, it was challenging then, and it's going to be challenging now.
3: And what about the pride defenders who are still facing charges for defending their community?
1: Well, again, I, I you know the police, the, the police, uh, the police uh, you know, make their determination in terms of uh, who is who is crossing the line. So I'm going to leave that with them to, uh, to 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 deal with. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not in charge of, uh, you know, the operations of the police. Uh, they have their own uh, standard in terms of what, uh, what is, uh, you know, over the line in terms of agitation or, 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 uh, standing against, uh, issues. And, uh, they, they, they act appropriately, in my view, when, uh, when they need to, to, to maintain order and to, uh, to maintain the kind of the criminal law issues.
0: Joy, I got to let you go to Georgia. We've got a lot of other people that uh, have questions for the mayor as well. Uh, to that point, though, mm-hmm. uh, because there's been a lot of feedback, and I'm sure you saw this in this morning in the paper, Chief Gert had to uh, uh, apologize, issued a public apology for some comments he made on the show, on my show earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think part of the problem here, as I see it, uh, having this discus- discussion with you, as I did with the chief, uh, people don't feel safe. I mean that's the and you've heard this at the meeting that you've done, and the chief I, I think heard it at the meeting in which he uh was chairing some time ago a few weeks ago, i guess now I, and i i when they don't feel safe when they they don't feel as if they' somebody's got their back. They don't care what the criminal code says. They just say, look at what can you do? You have to look at it from, I know the chief has to look at it from the law period. You know, that's all That's all there is to it. But there's a political and a community side to this, too, mm-hmm. that also uh, bears uh, you, your responsibility. How do you approach something like this? There's a police services board meeting this afternoon, of course. Uh, is, is this an ongoing discussion? Uh, clearly, the status quo doesn't seem to be acceptable to anybody in this situation. So what are the next steps?
1: Well, I mean it's uh, again this is is kind of a territory that there's no there's no magic formula to uh, to working through this. Uh, I mean it's an ideology for some people in terms of what they want to espouse out there and uh, it's is likely always been there. Today we we find that uh, they're more emboldened to speak out, they're more aggressive. And uh, that then leads to, you know, p- you know policing issues and, and challenges for the municipality in terms of how can we deal with this given the laws around freedom of expression. So I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a magic answer for this. I, I know that education and uh, continuing on with uh, promoting equity, diversity, and inclusion in our community, uh, continuing to dialogue with all of the groups that are uh, impacted by this, and I would say that, uh, you know, the black and Jewish community have been, uh, you know, primary targets over the years, and now it starts to include the Muslim community and the LGBTQ and immigrants. Uh, we need to work with all of those groups to, uh, to kind of work through these issues and come up with strategies that uh, that can be effective. Uh, I don't have an answer to that yet. We, uh, we have tried, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're marching down towards the injunction uh, process. I've had conversations with the... Uh, LGBTQ queer and trans community. Uh, and uh, we've had meetings with the broader group in terms of uh, folks that are targets of hate. And we keep working on those those dialogues to see where we can have impact to, uh, to change this dynamic. And so I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, and I encourage the police to continue to dialogue and uh, we'll be encouraging them to reinstitute the LGBTQ, uh, queer and trans uh, committee they used to have that uh, has has kind of gone by the wayside. It's probably important that we reinstitute that. We've also, as of last night, uh, allowed for uh, more members onto the advisory committee, mm-hmm. uh, which will, uh, you know. C- create more diversity uh, we as a city staff are getting trans training and uh, our office had trans training uh, about a week and a half ago and the trans protocol is uh, is being uh, broadcast and and uh, training is being done through all the municipal employees in our city so we're educating 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 in terms of the challenges that people face when they're in uh, transition in terms of their sexual identity or the challenges that people face because they're black or because they're Muslim or because they're Jewish uh, you know all of those are Attack points, and uh, we need to continue that dialogue so that we can uh, all stand together against this kind of hate. I
0: don't know if it's going to be on the agenda today, but if you could just at some point ask address the, the, the other members of the board about this, and, and it goes back to public safety. And, mm-hmm. and again, as I said, I, I know that Chief Gert quoted the criminal code, and you know they're allowed to do this, but under the guise of. of, of you know, freedom of expression. There's a lot of intimidation goes on at that place, at Four court and that's. It may not cross the criminal code, but it's certainly p- making people say, "I can't go downtown. I don't feel safe downtown. I sure don't feel safe walking past them and going into the the, the building there." I, uh, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't I don't have the solution either. I just know that, for instance, if you got somebody who's running stop signs all the time, eventually you do something about it and give them tickets. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's the answer to this either, but I mean, the the current system doesn't seem to be working, and I think they're they're looking towards the Police Services Board to say you guys have got to come up with an alternative here. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the
1: you uh, got some uh, bright I, people I, on that board, I, as you know, we uh, we have uh, investigations going on on the Pride events. That, yeah. Uh, so there's two service investigations ongoing now, and there's another conduct investigation coming up. Uh, and today we'll be dealing with uh, whether w- what we're going to do in terms of an independent investigation on the events surrounding all of that that, that may tag on to what uh, our the the Ontario independent independent uh, agency is doing uh, you know I'm not sure how we're going to end up with that one but we're going to find a way of uh, having a, a bit more thorough look at what uh, those events were all about having said that uh, I, I I I, uh, I I wish I had an answer. And every every group that I sit down with, and I ask them that very same question, they don't have an answer either, other than. Keep advocating and educating our kids and our in our schools about respect for all people, for all uh, religions, for all races, for all s- sexual orientations, and make sure that that education is robust and continues, so that uh, the next generation of uh, of uh, kids coming up and becoming adults and leaders in our community will have the same respectful attitude towards uh, towards all of those groups that uh, need to have. and And there's been significant progress. And so, in the uh, certainly in the queer and trans community. Gay marriage is now fully acceptable. Uh, the uh, there are you know no longer uh, you know specific issues in terms of acceptance of that in the general populace. Are there still pockets of people that are uh, opposed? Yeah, there are, and I and I don't know that that ever goes away. But they uh, need to understand that they uh, cannot act out violently against uh, anyone that's different from the, from who they are, and uh, and that violence will be uh, will be uh, dealt with by the police.
0: All right, we'll leave it there for now because I've got uh, dozens calls here, and I, I, I want to try to get as many people on here, and our time is short, unfortunately. Very John, Sean, thank you for holding on. Go ahead, for Mayor Eisenberger. How you doing, Mayor? Uh, great, John.
5: I'd like to know why Hamilton likes kicking everything down the down the road, especially with government handouts.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, the for instance, last four
5: years the Liberal government's handing out, and we didn't get, in my opinion, hardly enough. We have an uh, HRS system here, and we have an RRT system. They didn't back us with the RS, HSR system for buses and stuff like that. Right. So we seem to get, debate, debate, debate before you know the money's gone. So could you tell me how far, how much money did the Liberal government put into our transit system? And another thing I'd like to know is where's the report on the electric buses we had?
1: Right. Okay. John, I'll Uh, let you go and you can listen to the answer on the radio. Go ahead. So I I would say, you know, I I don't have a running total in my head in terms of the investments that the federal government has made uh, in Hamilton, but uh, it's actually been quite significant. Um, uh, we are in the process of applying for some half a billion dollars for our regular transit system in partnership with the uh, provincial government, and uh, that's that's certainly in process right now. Uh, we we anticipate possibly that uh, the federal government will come in on the LRT if there's an overage that's uh, that's required as part of the uh, the procurement process. Uh, they've invested in affordable housing projects. They've invested in uh, in uh, you know many cultural centers uh, a resource. announcement uh, in Ancaster regarding the Memorial Hall funding Uh, I mean I I don't have the list in front of me but John they've they've made some significant investments in our community so I'm not sure that I agree with you that uh, we've got uh, next to nothing from them Uh, the other issue is uh, we have uh, brought in the electric buses uh, and uh, basically run them and test them and compare them in terms of pricing And because we have the uh, a pretty clean fleet relative to the compressed natural gas that we've invested in it uh, it may require that we go to the next iteration of electric buses before we actually procure them Uh, and largely because uh, the electric buses are about a half a million dollars more than than either the compressed natural gas or the uh, the clean diesel that uh, that we've been uh, purchasing over the last few years so the that price comparison is quite significant. And uh, even though there are environmental benefits, uh, you don't want to throw away good buses until such time as you have to. And uh, I think the next procurement round will likely include electric buses uh, coming forward. So that that would probably be in the next uh, two or three years. All right, we've got a couple of minutes left. Frank, I'm going to squeeze you in here. Unfortunately, we just got
0: a few minutes, so I'll let you go ahead very quickly. What's uh, your question? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Frank.
5: Mr. Frank oh yes, uh, I, I would just like to
3: uh, be quick.
0: You're breaking up, Frank.
3: Oh, so
2: just a minute here. Uh, are you no no good at all, or what? How about well, that's now? Better. Um, that's,
0: that's better. That's better.
2: All right, now about the arena. It, I feel it's essential that that arena goes downtown.
3: Fred, you can.
0: No, well, we sorry, Frank. We, we, I'm sorry, we can't get that on there. Uh, you well, made me, your point, though. Let uh, me let me quickly agree with him. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> thought you might. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's just about all the time we have, unfortunately. We've covered a wide range of issues. Uh, the, uh, uh, arena issue that we talked about off the, uh, the, the first part of the program, uh... Have has uh, anybody from your office been in touch with Mr. Andelauer yet about whether or not that date's even compatible with him?
1: I uh, Don't know yet. So uh, you know, this is this is, is, is that d- flexible. This occurred last night. You know, I think if uh, the the date for him coming in is flexible, uh, we're, we're we we see them as two independent streams. So we we've already uh, made some fundamental decisions, and we'll probably kind of move forward on on the the, the city side of the uh, the the issue. And his is separate, so uh, whenever he's available to come in, he can come in any time and put his proposal together. So hopefully he can do it by the 18th. It would be nice to tie it together, but uh, if that that doesn't work for him, then we'll figure out another date.
0: All right. uh, Thanks to everybody who took part in the program today. Uh, Unfortunately, we couldn't get to all of our calls. We will do this again in just
1: a couple of weeks. Mr. Mayor, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ontario's uh, Attorney General is now defending controversial cuts that uh, his department has made to legal aid after some provincial judges, some of the top judges in this province actually, said the move which the government said was aimed at saving taxpayer money would end up costing more money down the road. Uh, Chief among them is Chief Justice of Ontario, George Strathy, who said uh, in remarks delivered on Tuesday that uh, the legal cuts actually are going to be problematic. He says, "We, what we judges can say is that reducing legal representation for the most vulnerable members of society does not save money. Joining us to talk about this, uh, to get the perspective uh, from that side of the bench, is uh, Jordan Donich, criminal lawyer, of course, uh, with Donich Law. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for the time. I'm, gra- I'm glad you could join us today glad to be here. There was a, a, a huge outcry from the legal community when these cuts were announced. Uh, this, somebody who spends some time in the courtroom, a lot of time in the courtroom for that matter, d- 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 tell us in, in, from your experience how these sorts of cuts are going to impact the, the, the system itself.
5: So I can tell you what I'm seeing on the front line. So um, on the front line, normally there would be duty counsel at court uh, for a first appearance or in set date court. So what we're seeing now Um, Is duty counsel isn't staffed, uh, so essentially the accused, uh, even if they have a lawyer, right? Typically what would happen before, um, a lot of times lawyers use the assistance of duty counsel. Um, So you you have a lawyer and the lawyer can't go to court and they'll say, okay duty counsel, read this message for me. Uh, So duty counsel is no longer doing that. So it's not just, I think, unrepresented people, it's even people with counsel to a limited extent are getting less assistance in court. But we have to remember, um, look, I think Ontario is the largest sub sovereign debt nation in the world. Uh, these are issues on the minds of taxpayers. That's why officials are elected. And, uh, you know, decisions have to be made at some point. And, and unfortunately, nobody's ever happy with election outcomes.
0: Well, that's for sure. Um, I guess the question a lot of us are raising right now is, is the areas in which they're targeting. And uh, we talked about the education cuts, and uh, that's an ongoing discussion and debate, I guess, that's happening. But but what about those people that that you're representing? I mean, if, if there are less uh, support services for them, I mean, you know, the old cliche that everybody's entitled to their day in court, but th- th- if you can't afford it, it's not going to do you much good.
5: Right. So duty counsel is still there, right? So I think um, what the, the kind of Area uh, of the government is is that well we can still make better use of the existing resources um, so there is still a duty counsel in the courthouse generally able to assist the accused um, but you're right it's less than it was before um, and I think that's the issue right now I mean duty counsel typically wasn't running a lot of trials prior um, so d- even with the cuts, I-, I don't think it's changed a lot of the trial litigation uh, where it may have impacted uh, the accused is perhaps less legal aid certificates for lawyers um, or ability for lawyers to represent them, private lawyers.
0: And and how does that impact the system? I mean, if I understand it now, a single person must earn less than 17700 to qualify for legal aid in Ontario. So if they fall below that threshold and, and they do qualify, uh, are they still going to get legal representation in a timely fashion?
5: So there's two generally criteria. Okay. Yeah, legal aid. So. You a have to be you know pretty poor, have no money, uh, and two you have to be facing a jail sentence. So this is what people already don't get a lot of times. A lot of people already don't have lawyers even prior to the cuts. Tons of the tons and tons of people are so unrepresented and can't get help uh, because they make eighteen thousand or because they make four thousand and they're not facing a jail sentence. That person still doesn't get a legal aid certificate. They may have access to city counsel. Um, but you need to have both parts of the criteria. You need to make less than a certain amount of money and be facing a, facing a harsh sentence. If you have those two criteria, then yes, arguably you should be funded.
0: One of the uh, points that uh, Justice Strathe made uh, when he was addressing uh, this uh, legal aid Ontario conference the other day. Uh, suggested that uh, that what these cuts are going to do is, oh, there's a list actually here. It says it increases trial times, places greater demands on public services, and ultimately delays and increases the cost of legal proceedings for everybody.
5: And there may be truth to that, and I can see why. And there, and, and I think what's going on there is, well, now the system's more inefficient because there isn't a lawyer, and we're spending more days with a self-represented person, right? So that could be the... thinking there, and that's going to create more delays and more costs. So I think that's that side of the argument.
0: And that that conjures up a picture in my mind, though, Jordan, of somebody who's, as you say, in in a a legal system like this, uh, may or may not have uh, legal representation. Uh, But is that person qualified uh, to be able to to navigate through the system?
5: No, I mean, not at all, right? So um, they're not. and, And that's kind of what that's the way our system is here, right? It's structured in this fashion. So, no, I, you're not qualified, I don't think. If you want to run a trial or if it's a serious set of charges, maybe if it's a super minor charge and you want to plead guilty, yeah, I think you can do that, you know, with the assistance of duty counsel and limited legal help. But, no, they're not qualified to run trials, and I think that is the kind of the, the uproar, right? Well, okay, you're making these cuts. It's not going to save money in the long term. Um, but, you know, I can also see why the government does these things uh, to please voters.
0: Well, sure. I mean, it, if you've got a government who's really just looking at the bottom line here, uh, I can understand. Cut, cut, cut. And they've done that with health care. They've done that with education uh, and the legal system, which I, I guess are three areas that a lot of people, Jordan, over the years, no matter what government's into power right now, say, well, look, th- those are untouchables. We need those things. Those are, are essential to to our society and to our community. Uh, yet they seem to be saying, well, look at, everything's on the table right now. And I, if, if the ultimate goal is to save money, I can see this happening. I guess the question a lot of us are asking right now, and, and certainly uh, when, from the comments that uh, Chief Justice Strathy is making, uh, is probably asking the same thing. Is it making for a more efficient system, and shouldn't that be our goal as well?
5: Right, and so that's the flip side of the argument. Well, if you're talking about dollars and cents, this isn't helping dollars and cents in the long term. Right. It's just a short-term patch, and it's going to cost us more, right? So it's, yeah, it's, re, it's, it's reframing the argument, you know, in terms of in money. Um, but but long-term, it, it very well could escalate costs because there'll be more resources. I mean, what'll also be interesting too is will more people plead guilty, right? Will there be less trials, right? What if somebody who could have got a lawyer funded, let's just say, or duty counsel. Um, no longer has that option, are they more likely to be just plead guilty and get it over with? That would be interesting, and I don't think many people have talked about that. Is it going to lead to more convictions? Uh, whereas, for example, other people may have been able to, to fight it more easily uh, prior.
0: Or are they going to be, have more delays? I mean, we've seen a number of trials over the years uh, where they've just kicked us down the road, kicked us down the road, there have been remands, there have been reasons, why I don't have proper representation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which is only going to cost more in the way of court time, is it not?
5: That's right, and that's why uh, the Supreme Court of Canada's case in, called Jordan, R v Jordan, uh, really set some frameworks with respect to time and time limits because it's already getting excessive. Mm-hmm. So the question is, with further cuts, is it going to get worse? I mean, it probably will. It probably will, but we have a government that, that is you know, focused on the bottom line, and, and that takes priority to, to the government, I think, right now
0: unless you uh, find yourself all of a sudden in, involved in that in that environment, if all of a sudden you're in the court system for whatever reason, and I mean, there could be a number of reasons, you know, right. that, uh, we know that statistically right. a lot of the, the people that, that tend to appear there uh, tend to be from lower income families, but I mean, it could happen to somebody driving a BMW, who's, you know, driving yeah. under the yeah. influence, something like this.
5: It, it happens to everyone. Yeah. It to everyone.
0: It's uh, Well, you know yeah. that more than I. Uh, you, you never know who you're going to run into there and who's going to be all of a sudden in a situation like that. and And I guess, you know, uh, that's fine to say your taxes are going down, but I mean, to, you know, just to use a bizarre example, I mean, I could save all kinds of health care costs if I was the premier if I just fired all the nurses. You know, we don't really need them. Uh, but would that make for a more efficient system?
5: No, probably not. Probably not, right? Um, so... I mean, we can and we can talk all day, right? But then the question is, well, why? Why are we? Ha- is the government even having to make these decisions, right? How did we get here, right? And then, and then you get into these big policy arguments, right? And and um, and it's it's a, it's a difficult time for to be to, to run the economy, I think, and to manage expenses um, for every everything. And and it's it's difficult being, I think, a teacher in healthcare, in legal. Um, everything seems to be under fire.
0: But as a lawyer, uh, especially in the criminal law that you, you practice, Jordan, are you not worried about the efficacy of the system in which you're working?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because we pay for it. The lawyer pays for it, right, with the time. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell your client, I'll have this done by now. And even let's assume it's not legal aid, right? Let's just assume they're paying you, right, out of pocket, right? Uh, it, it, you know, you want to be able to say, I can get this done in this time. But, but we can't <laughs> a lot of times. You go to Brampton. Uh, courthouse and it's, it's a zoo like it's it's unbelievably busy there's ticket systems i mean it's it's informations information are always lost paperwork's always missing uh and um i mean we, i was at old city hall a month ago and, yeah the info disappeared and you know they find it another day and and that that's all that's the same issue right it's it's clamping down on resources, which is creating more inefficiencies and and escalating costs in other ways. And I think that's the argument.
0: I'm just trying to look at a a broader picture here. And, you know, we we see these reductions. And and like you say, there's an argument to be made here that it's going to make for a less efficient system, at least in the short term, maybe in the long term. Obviously, we'll we'll have to wait for a passage of time to, to determine that. But I, I'm trying to. I, I'm adding that, uh, Jordan, uh, to the fact story that st- we've been talking about for the last number of years. Uh, you don't have enough justices here in Ontario right now, which is again that's that's dragging the system out. People are waiting way too long now to actually go to trial for a number of reasons like this. It just seems as if we're piece by, by piece here uh, taking this system apart and making it a less efficient system. Uh, and you know, and we hear some of the, uh, the the bad case scenarios as a result. Charges dismissed. Uh, you know, forget about it. We mm-hmm. just can't do this. You know, and it, that's mm-hmm. not just justice for the community either.
5: Hey, and the police, too.
0: Even the oh, yeah. police, the
5: step before this, they're under pressure, right? They're not ch- charging a lot of people for certain offenses now, right? They're busy doing a lot of serious crime. So it, it's everything, it's, it, right? It's everything. And and it's all inefficient, and it's all getting worse. And I, I don't know what the solution is. Like, uh, I, I have no idea. I mean, it, it's more resources, but where does that come from, right? I mean, and, that, and you kind of get back to the beginning.
0: I, I know, and, and I, it's it's the it's the dilemma that I guess we've been facing since the beginning of elected officials. Uh, that obviously we don't want to pay taxes, but at the same time we want maximum uh, effective services. Anytime that we need to uh, apply to those right. services, and uh, and the, right. so the pressure is not on the government. I think the pressure is on us as as individual citizens that's to right. say, wait a second, and, and we don't. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, if we People. if we as uh, en masse go to those officials and say, yeah, the deficit's a problem, we get that. But, you know, I want to lose 40 pounds, too. I could do that by lopping my leg off, or I could go on a diet, and it might take a little longer, but it would be a healthier move to do it. Uh, so, you know, the, I, the governments are going to make short-term solutions to try to please people, but at the same time, there's got to be pressure, I would think, from places the law society and other places like this to say, wait a second, you can't get the system at the same time.
5: Right, but then it comes down to the voters to change
0: it Exactly. Them.
5: Right? So, and you, think of it this way, right? I mean, if you're the average middle class family or whatever um in ontario you're probably not weighing legal aid too high on your decision in the ballot box you're just not i mean to them it's not a priority because no average person why i'm never going to get in trouble you know i'm never going to break the law i don't do anything wrong it's just not on the priority list so um it's, e- it's an easy place i think to act. Um, um, without maybe being punished at the ballot box, I, that, I just think from a broader logical perspective, um, and, and that could be why it's happened.
0: Well, and that's the conundrum, isn't it? I guess this is never going to be a front of mind. It's never going to be a front burner issue on yeah. any election.
5: No, it won't, because not enough. It doesn't. And unfortunately, it does. It's not relevant to enough people, like directly, like like a lot of other things are that we see at the, at the polls, um, yeah, what, like taxes and, and and you know and, and benefits and all these types of things that people like, this, I, I, I would be surprised if it ever goes back. It may stay this way for a long time, and, and it could be a turning point in the system and a, and a point where we look back and we say, hey, look, this is where it changed, either for better or for worse.
0: Jordan, it's always a pleasure having you on the program. I, I just love the invigorating conversations we have. Thanks so much for this today. Thanks, for me. Good, for good talking with you again. Jordan Donich, of course, criminal lawyer with Donich Law. Uh, and, and that's one perspective. As I say, there's others that uh, we've talked about in the legal community that have been raising some serious concerns about this because of the impact that it's going to have uh, on, uh, well, the vulnerable, as uh, as the justice officer said. He says, I can tell you from personal experience shared by every judge in this room, the pace of a proceeding with an unprecedented uh, litigant slows to a crawl, and every sector of the justice system bears increased costs as a result. Uh, So he's not just saying it's going to make for a less effective system. That was part of his argument. And if your son or daughter or somebody you know is, is in the system, you want an effective system. But he says it's going to cost more. It's not going to save money. It's going to cost more money. I guess to wait and see, I guess, and compare some numbers to try to convince the government otherwise.